Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. Amen. Good morning. morning. Welcome to our new 830 service. My name is Rob Dump. I'm the pastor here. It's wonderful to see you all this morning. We are continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke this morning, but we're going to deviate a little bit. And I'm going to apologize if this is your first time here, because we're going to talk about what everybody always thinks, every church always talks about every Sunday. Giving. Um, I've been here for three and a half years, and this is the first sermon I've done on giving, but if this is your first time here, you think, oh, no, that's what they talk about all the time. Um, Jesus says in Luke 6, we've been studying the Gospel of Luke and we're, we're, we're looking at this radical message of a radical God and of a radical kingdom. And Jesus says in Luke 6, give and it will be given to you. And so I thought, you know, we need to stop for, for, for a week or two here and, and go, what does it mean to give? What does giving look like? And we have all kinds of questions in the, in the church today. You know, oh, well, the Old Testament says you give 10%, but the New Testament doesn't say that. And, and, and what does it mean, and, and, and what do we do with this? And so we're going well, to look at what does the Scripture say, and what, what does the New Testament teach uh, about, about giving. So if you're, this is your first time here, sorry. Um, come back next week when I finish the same sermon and talk about giving two weeks in a row and maybe three weeks in a row. Come on Easter and I won't talk about giving and, and, and it'll all be better. Um, if this is your first time here, we want to encourage you to fill out one of these Connect cards and put them in the offering plate and give us a record of your attendance so we can communicate and connect with you as well. Um, and you don't, you don't have, to, have to put your checking account or credit card. See, I'm not actually going to go that far. Um, and just your name, your phone number, and other good things there, so we can, uh, we can connect with you there. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's found on page 811 in your pew Bibles. As we take a little exit from exit, sorry, uh, it's got it's to stop soon. My, if my wife were here, I'd be in a lot of trouble right now. Um, but uh, we're going to take a little... Um, uh, sidestep here from our study in the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at the Gospel of Luke and Jesus' teachings, and Jesus makes this statement in Luke chapter 6 that we are to give as it, and it will be given to us. And as I mentioned before, that I've, I've been hesitant about preaching on giving uh, in my three and a half years here because you know, there's just that stereotype that all you guys ever do is talk about giving, and that's all, that's all the church ever wants is our money, and, and, and we don't. We want your time and your service also. But, um, uh, you know, and, and I didn't want to feed into that. But here's the reality. Jesus says, uh, and actually quote in the book of Acts, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And the fact that I haven't been preaching on giving in three and a half years means, in all honesty, that I'm actually depriving you of an opportunity to be blessed. Um, some of you are aware that over, over the course of December and January, we were raising funds for Karuna Kar, uh, a, a, a pastor in India, so that he can get a, a, a Bible theological seminary training. And this, he's a dynamic leader. And one of the persons who gave, uh, gave an offering and sent it in, they just sent me a little note and said, thank you, Pastor Rob, for giving me the opportunity to help. And so sometimes when we fail to talk about giving, we're actually giving, not giving you the opportunity to help or to be blessed or to give and to understand that. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, Paul says this, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 9. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So you will be rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the, of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Verse 13, But because of the service by which you approved yourselves, others will praise God for your, the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. One of the reasons why I don't like preaching topical sermons, of course, is the fact that you know when you, you, you jump from this text and you jump from that text and then you go to that passage and that passage. And often what happens is we lose the context in which something was spoken. And so as we jump to 2 Corinthians, let's back up for just a minute and get a little bit of a context and help us understand uh, exactly what's going on. The city of Corinth, to whom Paul wrote this letter... Uh, was uh, in uh, the, the middle bottom part of, of, of ancient Greece. This is Greece. You can see the little bit of, of Turkey over there, and you can see Italy over here to the west. Uh, and there is the city of Corinth right there on a, what, what's called an isthmus. Um, an isthmus is a narrow strip of land separated by, uh, uh, separated by two bodies of water. And you can see uh, a little bit better maybe here. The Aegean Sea kind of comes in here on the east side. There's Corinth. And then the Adriatic Sea comes in on the west side. And so there's this four-mile stretch of land called an isthmus that separates the Adriatic and Rome from the east, uh, Greece and Turkey. And Corinth is located on that isthmus. Now, because of its location, of course, what happened was, would be that sailors actually had an easier time traveling here to Cancrea, the, the, the port there. They would take their goods off the ships in Cancrea, put them on carts, and drag it across the land about four miles put it on another ship on the other side of the, of the isthmus and sail off to Rome. That was actually easier and faster and more efficient than traveling all the way around uh, the, the, this little uh, peninsula. All right? that was fat. Now, the result then becomes this. You get a lot of sailors in Corinth for one night. All right? And so Corinth becomes known as a city of rampant immorality. Paul has written several letters to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians, of course, is the second one that we have in our Bible. But the first letter to the church in Corinth was addressing the problems in the church. There was many problems. In fact, Paul says in chapter 11 that your meetings do more harm than good. Something that a church doesn't want to hear. By the way, when you get together for me, in, you know, in Jesus' name, your, your meetings do more harm than good. You're so divided, there's so much corruption, there's so many problems going on, this is not good. So Paul addresses the problems and the corruption and the division and the immorality and uh, all these uh, other issues. And now by the time he writes 2 Corinthians, he's worried. He was worried before he wrote 2 Corinthians that they were not going to receive 1 Corinthians well. They weren't going to respect what he had to say. One of the issues that's going on is the fact that they don't even believe Paul is a legitimate apostle. We, we, we shouldn't listen to you. We follow Peter, some said. Others said, we follow Apollos. Some said, we, we follow Jesus. Some said, we follow Paul. They're so divided. 
in their allegiances that many were actually challenging that Paul was actually even an apostle. So when he writes 2 Corinthians, what has happened is Titus, who has carried that letter to the church in Corinth, has now come back to Paul, says, good news, they received your letter with, with, with grace. And Paul's relieved. But there's still some that are challenging whether Paul's an apostle. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending. Look, I'm, I'm really an apostle. Well, you're not one of the twelve. It doesn't matter that I'm not one of the original twelve, that I, I came into faith later. Jesus Christ appeared to me, called me as an apostle. In fact, he actually makes a statement, my body bears the marks of an apostle. If I'm an apostle, I can prove it to you because I've suffered and the marks of being an apostle is suffering for Jesus. Now, the next thing that Paul does in this letter, and this is why chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians are really the, the primary place we have in the New Testament that talks about giving, is because Paul happens to be in Ephesus at the time he writes this particular letter. And he's about to travel north up to Troas, over to Philippi, Thessalonica, and then down south to Corinth. And as he's going to travel around that part of the Roman world, he's taking an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Several years earlier, the church in Jerusalem had suffered a massive famine. The famine struck Egypt, Syria, and Palestine. And the Christian community in Jerusalem, which was already persecuted, suffered greatly, even more so, because of the famine. So Paul writes and says, look, I'm going to take an offering. And I want you guys, we, we owe it to the church in Jerusalem because that's where our spiritual heritage is from. And so here's what I want you to do, and that is, he says in chapter 16, set aside a little money every week so that when I come, you won't have to like gather it all then. All right? And then he uh, uh, gives more instructions here in these two chapters. Uh, just a couple of quick pictures, by the way. Here's a modern-day picture uh, of, uh, of Corinth. They cut a canal about 75 years ago uh, through, the, uh, through the peninsula there so that ships could get through. But if you notice, they did it 75 years ago, and the canal's now too narrow. Ships can't fit through there, other than, like, tourist boats and things of that nature. And uh, here's a satellite photo that just kind of gives you an idea of just that narrow strip of land and, and, and the... Uh, uh, the canal going right through here, uh, uh, there. And there's ancient Corinth right here on this little isthmus. All right, so Paul is addressing an offering that he's, given, that he's asking the church in Corinth to, to take for the church in Jerusalem. And he gives us three points. The first one is this. You will reap what you sow. Look, here's the reality, Paul says. You'll reap what you sow. Now, Corinth wasn't a major agricultural community, but it's a large city, and there's agriculture going on all around it. It's simply just an obvious agricultural metaphor. You reap what you sow. You throw a few seeds out, you're going to get a few plants. You throw a lot of seeds out, you're going to get a lot of plants. All right? You're going to reap what you sow. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Of course, this is true in life, right? It's true in life, not just in our giving, but a person who's kind is probably going to get kindness in return. A person that's always giving, when they have a need, people are more likely going to give back to that person. A person who's always taking and never giving is probably going to have trouble finding giving when, when, they need, when they need it themselves. Secondly, Paul says this. Give what you decided in your heart to give. Give what you decided in your heart to give. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And here's what's interesting. When we ask the question, what does the Bible say about giving? Uh, if you're not aware, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament in our Bibles. The Old Testament is essentially the material prior to the life of Jesus. 
It's related to the people of Israel, God's chosen people, and they were supposed to be a light to the nations, and God was going to bless all the nations through them, and God gave them these laws and the prophets, and, and He said, this is, this is the way you're to operate. And in the Old Testament, He tells the people that you're to give 10%. Uh, give a tithe, a tenth of all your income, and, and, and it will be used for the, for the blessing of the priests so that they can then continue the, the religious service of this nation. When we get to Jesus then, Jesus comes along and says, look, I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm not going to like annihilate it and annul it, but I come to fulfill it. And so many Christians look at the, New Te- at the Old Testament and they go, well, you know, Jesus did away with all that stuff. The Old Testament laws about giving and tithing and all that, that was what God gave Israel for then. But that's been done away with by Jesus. So when we ask, you know, what does, what does it mean to give in the New Testament world? We're like, oh, oh, well, Paul tells us we only need to give cheerfully and freely and not under compulsion. So, you know, I, I, we don't have to give 10%. If we do, that's like great. But it's more important that I give cheerfully. And I can only give like maybe 1% cheerfully. <laughs> the rest of it, like, just God knows it would be totally begrudgingly. I'm just not giving that. And we let ourselves off the hook. First off, if we look at the context, I think what's going on is that, and that's this. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. And when you recognize the fact that Paul has been beaten up and battered and abused by these people who have seriously questioned his authority as an apostle, you can see that Paul's having a tough time asking them for money. It's hard, it's really hard, believe it or not, by the way, to get up and preach a sermon on giving. Because of all the accusations that are going to come, you've got to think that's what he always talks about. You know, and you don't want to feed that. And so it's, it's hard. And I, and I apologize because in, in not preaching on giving, I've deprived you of an opportunity to be blessed. But Paul's experiencing that. So he's like, okay, look, um, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give what you decide in your hearts to give. I'm not compelling you to give. I want you to give cheerfully and freely. And what we do is we take that and we make this an an edict from God. God only wants you to give cheerfully and not under compulsion. No, Paul wants the church in Corinth to recognize that he's not going to beg them and he's not asserting his apostolic authority and, and, and don't be upset with him. Nobody said that God is like good with us stopping there. That God might not want or compel us to give. Let's go a little bit further. Number three. God will bless the giver abundantly. God will bless the giver abundantly. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God will bless the giver abundantly. Paul says he's going to increase your, your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness in verse 10. Paul says you're going to be made rich in every way in verse 11. Having all that you need at all times, you can abound in every good work. And then he says, and guess what? In fact, not only that, but men are going to bless God because of your faithfulness and because of your giving. Look at verses uh, 13 through 15. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God 
for his indescribable gift. In fact, men will, they'll, the, he's referring to the church in Jerusalem, they're, they're going to pray to God for you. So the question then becomes this, well, uh, how do we apply this to our lives today? You know, what does the New Testament say, uh, and, and what's the biblical principles of giving, and how do we apply that? You know, the Old Testament might have said a tenth, uh, but what does it mean for us today? And before I go further, let me make a couple comments, especially if you're new, or you're a visitor, or whatever. Um, first off, our financial records here as a church are available for anyone. If you want to look at our budgets and see our finances, we'll be happy to show you exactly what money comes in and what money comes out. And you may not be aware, by the way, but the only money that comes into this congregation primarily, essentially, is our offerings. You know, we don't have a system of revenue anywhere else. We don't have some magical fund that, you know, that funds this congregation, that funds what we do here. The lights are being paid by, by us, by you, by all of us, and by our tithes. Um, next week, if you come to our dinner, um, uh, Sunday night, we invite you all to come. We'll give an overview of our financial records and how we did last year and where we're at. Uh, and we'll give it all to you as well. Also, you should be aware, we have policies and procedures in place to make sure that everything is checked and double-checked and that there's nothing funny or loose going on. So we always, when the offerings are counted, there's always two people counting it, making sure that it's being accounted and they're, they're accountable for one another. And we have systems that go on and on. And, and by the way, I don't know who gives. And I don't know how much you give. And if you try to come up and say, well, Rob, you might not know, but I'm one of the people who get, I'm just going to plug my ear and go, ah, like a three-year-old boy who just lost his toy to his little sister. Because I don't want to know who gives. I don't want to know how much you give. It's not my job, etc. Now, one other thing, by the way, my salary and Courtney's salary, if you're not aware, is voted on by you. It's voted on by you. Okay? You know exactly how much I make. You vote and approve. And or if you're a member of our congregation, at least you vote and approve my salary and Courtney's salary every single year. And I've said before, and let me make two comments on that, by the way. There's two dangers of a church when it comes to paying your pastor. Number one, of course, is not paying your pastors enough. And then they get overburdened and overbearing, and they have to figure out a way to, 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 to survive and how to, how to get along and, you know, and taking on extra jobs. And, and it's burdensome because ministry is always as difficult as it is. And to add to that, the financial burden of not making enough money. But there's another danger, and that's paying your pastors too much. And I would exhort you as a congregation to always be careful to make sure that when you're evaluating my salary, Courtney's salary, that you're making sure, are we paying them enough? And then say, and are we paying them too much? Because if a pastor, I've seen it before, by the way, a pastor goes bad, and guess what happens? They can't make the same living somewhere else that they're making in the pulpit, and so they won't give up the pulpit, even though they've gone bad. It's hard to get rid of them. So be careful about paying too little or about paying uh, too much. All right, let's move forward here. What does the New Testament say uh, about giving? <clears throat> well, first thing I want to say is this, is... A couple weeks ago, we were talking about Jesus' statement about blessed are the poor. And I asked the question, I had mentioned to you that I asked the question on Facebook, what does Jesus mean when he says blessed are the poor? And I noted that many of the people on Facebook, on my, on my feed, commented and said, well, you mean poor in spirit. And, when Jesus, and others say, well, when Jesus says blessed are the poor, that means those who recognize their need for Jesus. And, and that's true, but by the way, I did not mean blessed are the poor in spirit. I said, what does Jesus mean when he says blessed are the poor? One person, a good friend of mine, and Eric knows him well, uh, uh, also replied, Well, Pastor, you know, you mean poor in spirit, right? And I said, No, I mean poor. You see, Matthew chapter 6, chapter 5, uh, uh, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. But Luke chapter 6 says, Blessed are the poor. Luke doesn't define as poor in spirit, he defines it as poor. In fact, he says, Woe to you who are rich. He's clearly contrasting poor and rich. 
and wealth. And what we do so often when we come to passages like this and questions like how much should I give and what do I, is that we soften the text. Oftentimes to make ourselves feel comfortable. I'm trying and I'm doing my best and Jesus knows I'm doing my best and I'm comfortable doing what I'm doing because the Bible says this. And so we wrestled a few weeks ago, the last few weeks, with what does Jesus mean when he says, bless the poor? And how come the gospel is good news to the poor? And so now I think we need to wrestle with a little bit with this idea of what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed, or, or when he says, give, and it will be given to you. Let me give several thoughts. Number one, the God in whose likeness we are made is a generous God. The God in whose likeness we are made is a generous God. One of the things that we're going to comment on and note, of course, is the fact that we often don't give because we're afraid. I'm afraid that if I give this away, I won't have anything back. You know, I, God knows I, I, I need this, and we're afraid. And the reality is, our God is a generous God. Second point would be this. Giving is based on the model of what God has done for us. Giving is based on the model of what God has done for us. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because... He first loved us. And there's a song that we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Our giving is modeled by God, who laid down his life for us, and then he says, okay, now go and do that likewise. Number three, the key question, of course, is really is where's our hearts? Where's our heart? I mean, that's the bottom line, is where's our heart? You see, what happens sometimes is we, we, we use these external means by measuring, you know, oh, oh, pastor, he's so spiritual, you know, because he preaches these dynamic sermons. Right? Come on. These wonderful... Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. Um, if you're listening online, they're, they're like applauding and falling down right now. So just, uh, I'm sorry we don't have this on video and we can't turn the camera around, but you should, it's, it's, I've got... Settle down, settle down, settle down. Okay. Thank you. So, um, you can measure my spirituality by looking at my American Express statement. You can measure my spirituality by looking at my calendar and seeing what I do. Spirituality is not simply measured by these external things. It's measured by our hearts. And our hearts are indicated by what we spend our money on and what we spend our time. Matthew chapter 6 says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God's after our heart. And he wants to transform our heart so that we can follow Jesus. Number four, let's ask the famous question that all Christians that have grown up in the church in the 21st century, 20th and 21st century are asked. Are we obligated to give 10%? Oh, you know, this is an Old Testament principle, and where it comes from is in the book of Genesis. You may or may not be aware. In Genesis 14, Abraham goes off to fight a war to defend his nephew, Lot, who had been captured and, 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 uh, by, by some other uh, um, tribes in, in the area. Abraham goes off to fight a war, and Abraham's victorious and, 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 and saves his nephew, Lot. And as he's returning back to Bethlehem and Hebron, he passes the city of Jerusalem, which Jerusalem was not under the control of Abraham or the Israelites at this point in time. But a man named Melchizedek... His name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. Comes out to meet Abraham. We have no idea who this guy is. He just appears in Genesis 14 out of, the, out of nowhere. And it says that Abraham gave him a tenth of all his spoils. And there's the beginning of the principle of giving a tenth. The word tithe, of course, means a tenth. 
And we often stop and say, well, that's, that's an Old Testament thing. And, and, and that's how the nation of Israel was supposed to do things. And what, what, what the Bible tells us now is that we're supposed to give freely and not under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. And therefore, you know, if I can give 10%, that's like, that's like a good standard. That's great. But if I can't afford to give 10%. And some of you are sitting there going, you know, preach it, Pastor, because we give 10% and we're like funding this building and we need, to get, we, we need you to preach it right now so everybody else will, like, will, will ante up a little bit. And here's my thought, and that's this. If we know Jesus by now, if we know Jesus, we might want to be aware of what he's about to do. Because you see, Jesus comes up and says, you heard it, it was said in the law that you shall not commit murder. But I say to you that if you have hatred in your heart, you've murdered already. And you heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery already in your heart. You see, those illustrations, by the way, follow Jesus saying, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The law of the Old Testament doesn't actually go away with Jesus. It's fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, it's summarized as, you shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus takes the law... And he intensifies it. He makes it harder. Because he says, you know, you could get away with hating somebody in the Old Testament as long as you didn't kill them. And you can get away with not committing adultery even though you wanted to, but you didn't. But not in my kingdom. My, I, I want to change your heart. That heart of stone, I, I want to give you a new heart. A clean heart. A heart that desires passionately to be faithful and obedient to me. And so we stop and go, oh, oh, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe Jesus is going to take giving and, and intensify it. Maybe he's going to say, for you, 2% is all you can afford. But for you, 10%, that's not good enough. And by the way, I, I, I really only came to this conviction of, of, of what's going on in the last several months that I've been preparing for this sermon because I too have been convinced that, you know, 10% is the gold standard. For the New Testament, you know, it's not required because that's an Old Testament law. It's not required, but, you know, if you can get to 10%, that's great. If you can't afford to, that's fine. And let me reiterate, by the way, someone that makes $20,000 a year should probably not be giving anything at all. If you have a family of four and you make $20,000 a year, you live below the poverty level, you probably shouldn't be giving anything. But if you make $250,000 a year, maybe 10% is not good enough. And I really only came to that conviction in the last six, seven, eight weeks as I've been studying and preparing for this particular sermon, even though I've taught seminary courses on 2 Corinthians and on Jesus, because I began to realize, wait a minute, what's Jesus going to do with the law? He's going to make it more intense. And all of a sudden, I surrender all means my 10%. Maybe it's not actually enough. The next point would be this. Let me skip down here. New Testament giving is sacrificial giving. New Testament giving is sacrificial giving. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We give because it's modeled on Jesus. And Jesus says, Rob, you've been given 10%, that's wonderful, but guess what? It's not good enough. 
you can give more. See, sometimes 10% might not hurt. And if it doesn't hurt, are we really giving sacrificially? Let me make one or two more points. I know I have like 13 more points on the outline. We're not going to get to them all this morning. Number six, sometimes giving might not mean that we're good. Just because we give doesn't mean it's actually good. The reality is if we give but our hearts aren't right, then our giving is really worthless. God doesn't want it. If you go to the altar and present your offerings and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering at the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offerings. I don't want your offerings. I want your heart. I want your heart. Think about it. You know, if your sons or daughters uh, were giving money to the, to the poor and budgeting wisely and, and giving to nonprofits, and all of a sudden then you came and found out, and found out that they were abusing their spouse. They were cheating their employees. They weren't spending any time with their children. They had no care for anybody else around them. Will we really be all excited that they're giving 10% to the poor or to, to the church or to the nonprofits? If their hearts are wrong, then we're not really excited just because they're giving. Let me skip forward a little bit here and summarize this now for our sakes. How do we go about doing this? Number one, surrender our hearts before Christ daily. Let's surrender our hearts before Christ daily. Don't worry about giving. Don't worry about how much we're going to... Don't worry about any of that. Just simply stop and say, I surrender all. Secondly, make a plan. Make a plan to give generously. And we'll talk perhaps a little bit more next week. Giving doesn't necessarily mean money. It, it, may, it includes that, but it could be time. It could be resources. It could be, it could be many other things as well. But make a plan to give more generously. You see, some people can't give because they simply can't afford to give. And they can't afford to give because they simply don't make enough money to, to even get by. Don't, you shouldn't be giving. But some of you can't give because you make plenty of money, but you've been spending it. Recklessly, and you're in debt, and you've got credit card bills, and you've got all kinds of problems. All right, well, no one's saying you've you got to give 10% because you make enough money. No. You need to get your heart right and recognize that spiritually before God, my heart's not been right because I've been wasting it on these things. And so now make a plan. Get a budget. Start seeing what you're spending and start figuring out how you can spend more wisely. And if you need to, we have people here that can help you counsel, counsel you financially. We could do another Dave Ramsey class if we need to as well. We've done a couple of them already to help you figure out how to budget and how to save and how to be wiser with your finances. And maybe you, you pay off one of your bills and you finally get that paid off and now you have a little bit extra to contribute. And then you can start paying off other bills and eventually you can get yourself where you can give 2% and maybe 3% and maybe, maybe more and more and more over the course of time. Some of you guys, and, and some of us have so much stuff that we have to have storage units to house it in. And what if we sold that stuff and gave it away? And not only just do we give away the stuff and, and, the, and the proceeds from the stuff, but now I don't have to pay the storage unit any longer to house stuff that I really obviously don't need. And I recognize, by the way, right, sometimes we have stuff because our parents have passed away or they're ill and, and, it's, and it's, it's there for a, t for a time. I'm not speaking of that. I'm speaking of the fact that sometimes we have so much stuff, we have to have a storage unit for it. Sell it and give it away. And then see if God doesn't bless you in response.
Thirdly, give until it hurts. Give until it hurts. This is a sign that we're trusting God. In the Old Testament, giving was a a, a form of sacrifice. In the New Testament, giving is exemplified by the cross. So we give until it hurts. Sometimes I've seen a guy on the side of the street and I've given him a dollar and I realized, I, you know, I gave him a, that didn't hurt. I won't even notice that it's gone from my wallet. I don't even know how much cash I have in my wallet. It's like 22, maybe 23, maybe 24. I gave him one. I'm down to like 21 or 22. or 20. I don't know how much I'm down. It didn't hurt. And Jesus says, look, give and give until it hurts. And then trust and see if God will bless us in response. Now let me make one more comment as I, as I close. I'm not asking you to give to this church. Our elders are like, what the heck are you doing, Rob? I'm, I'm not asking you to give to our church. I don't care where you give. I care that you learn to be giving people. Jesus Christ gave it all for us. And let's give it back to him. If you want to bless this church, then bless this church. We, we, you'll see our budget. We could use it. But if you want to bless God's kingdom some other way, bless God's kingdom some other way. That's up to you. And we could talk more about that and whether you should give to your local church first. I, I'm, not, I'm not going to preach that. I'm going to preach that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And the fact that I haven't been telling you to give means I've been depriving you of an opportunity to be blessed. And I want you to do that so you'll be blessed. And by the way, if you're listening online and you don't go to church and this is your church, you, you don't get to get off on this one. You've got to give too. And we know some of you, by the way, have donated online and, and you've given because you've been blessed by our messages and we thank you for that. But give. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that the greatest gift of all was given by your Son, Jesus Christ, and by you that we might have life. And now we say, all we have is yours. And so often when we say, all we have is yours, we we mean it and we want to mean it. But we don't think it includes our wallets. We don't think it includes our time. We don't think it includes our treasures. We go to church and we put something in the offering plate and we feel like we're good. And then we recognize, Lord, and we stop and we say, look, you gave it all. All to him I owe. And when we don't give it all, we're showing ourselves that, and you that we haven't really actually surrendered our hearts to you fully. Because we don't trust you enough, apparently. And we worry about where something might come from or how we're going to provide for this. And we read these promises that, that you will expand our wealth so that we can give more whenever we give. Because once we change our hearts to become giving hearts, you bless us with more so that we can give more because our hearts have been blessed so that we give. And now you'll trust us with more. But we're afraid. So Father, show us Remind us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. 
We thank you for your son. We pray all these things now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.